see you. Uh, I appreciate your faithfulness tonight. It's cold out there, and uh, uh, but we'll make sure it's warm in here tonight. Um, if you would, in your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I've been thinking about this for a while, and I saw some things on it last night. And, you know, the important thing for us is we not, don't just read our Bibles, we meditate on them. That's all a preacher really does is he takes a verse and looks at it from every single possible direction that you can think of, and you can see all the different ways that applies. Now, you know, of course, you run into that problem of, of uh, seeing all those things that they, you can apply it in, in whatever ways you can re apply it, and then after you get done preaching, you'll think of some others. But that's just because it's God's Word, and, and this is one of those verses, and I would entitle this The Secret of Success, because 1 Corinthians 15, which is a chapter, as you might know, on the resurrection, and certainly the resurrection is a whole reason for our gathering here together, but 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which is with me. Now, that's always, uh, that's always impressed me when I read that, but I labored more abundantly than they all. That means God gives us grace. His grace is free, isn't it? it? That's the blessing of it. The difference between grace and mercy, mercy is where God doesn't give you what you really deserve, but grace is what God gives you when you don't deserve it. It's a blessing that God gives you that He didn't have to. And His grace, the blessing of salvation is free to all, isn't it? But He says, it wasn't bestowed upon Him in vain. And He speaks of vanity a lot of times. He says, I, I don't want to have my labor there at Galatia, I think it was, or another place. I don't want it to be in vain. Uh, and he encourages the brethren there. That's the reason he wrote these epistles to them. But he says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. And he's not patting himself on the back because he finishes that, yet not I. In other words, I'm not the one that labored, but the grace of God which was with me. In other words, God's grace worked on him above what it normally worked on most people. I guess you'd have to say that. God's grace worked on him, and we, I'm certain of this. That's because he didn't find opposition in the heart of Paul. Uh, he never got over his salvation. And you can see that as you read the Bible. Uh, you can see that he never got over salvation. Well, most religious people are lost. And this was a man that, of all the religious people, he certainly was lost, wasn't he? Religion doesn't save you. The most dramatic of conversions, and we'll look at some of that tonight, and yet the most remarkable of servants. Why? He apparently did not resist the Spirit of God and the grace of God working on his soul. He didn't resist them. And if you want to know a secret of success, that's exactly what it is. That is... You let God's grace work on you and see where it takes you. So let's look at the secret of success in Paul's uh, testimony. Let's pray. Lord, just bless our time together. Thank you for these that have come. It's cold night, Lord. And Lord, um, some of the olders have stayed home and there's some sick ones out. Lord, I sure thank you for each one who's come here tonight. Would you bless us from your word in Jesus' name? Amen. You think about the blessings of God, it's really a wonderful thing. And if you want to look at success, the Bible says you can look at lots of verses to speak on that, because in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, 
that uh, I have fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? He found out what God wanted him to do, and he finished the course that God had laid out for him. And lots of other verses as well, how, how that God called him when he was first saved. I want you to be a testimony to the Gentiles, and that's exactly what he did. And he was honest, he was true to the calling that he had. What is the secret of success? The first one is integrity. Now, this is, uh, I want you to understand some things here. Ideologues are prone to blindness. People, and funny, people have learned some things, and this is how easy it is to deviate from the Word of God. People learn some things, and someone is clever with applying some verses out of context from the Bible, which undoubtedly was what Paul was up, uh, was, uh, up against before he got saved, and they know what they believe, but they can't prove it from the Word of God. And I've seen lots of people that believe the last person that talked to them on some important uh, subject matter. And if you look at even presidents, you know, I, I am more than convinced that uh, the last two Democrats are the worst ones we've ever had. Um, and the, the liberal media is always happy to say that Clinton balanced the budget. No, the Republicans in Congress balanced the budget, and he wasn't the ideologue that Obama was. Obama would not deviate. I never saw him deviate. But Clinton saw the handwriting on the wall, and he went along with this and cut some things. I don't remember all the details, but we ended up with a serpent. We didn't have to spend everything we took in and then some. If you're an ideologue, if you're just a communist, you can stand up in front of the cameras and say, well, yeah, Hamas is uh, being brutalized by Israel. No, they're the ones that started it. They're the ones that started it. And the only way to deal with that bullying is, is uh, overwhelming force. But someone that is ideologically motivated, then they have agendas and they, have, uh, they are willing to bend the facts to fit what they want to accomplish. And uh, Paul certainly was behaving that way. But I don't think, I think he was too honest to continue in that. By that, let's look at a couple of things. Now, remember, in Romans chapter 10, it's just like uh, J.W. said to me one time, well, though you don't agree with me, don't you think, don't you respect our zeal? And, you know, the natural response would be yes. I said no, because in Romans 10, 2, it says of Israel, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. There's a zeal for God. Certainly Paul had zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. There is no doubt in my mind that before Paul got saved, he was zealous for God, wasn't he? He was sold out. He served God with all of his heart. Didn't he? As far as he knew, he did. But when he was presented with the facts, God was able to convert his heart, wasn't he? Now, I don't mean that conversion is uh, theoretical, but there are all kinds of people out there that espouse religion that would never listen to the truth of the Bible. They might even tell you that they believe the Bible, but they believe how they interpret it. They don't let God's Spirit deal with their hearts. Now, think further on this, on integrity. Look at Acts chapter 24. Again, this is his testimony. Acts chapter 24 and verse 16, as he stands there giving his testimony before a judge, he says in verse 16, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. And, and he goes on to show how he was arrested here. But he is telling the leaders that he has lived his life in, in good conscience. 
I have no doubt that he was following what he thought was a good conscience before he came to know Jesus. Remember, a Jew in that day, in a Jew in that day would have believed that Jesus was still dead, wouldn't they? They'd say that was a falsehood, that he wasn't alive. They would believe that Jesus was come and gone. He wasn't the Messiah, and they needed to exterminate these people, and that's exactly what he went about to do. So what was said when he uh, was blinded on the road to Damascus? Who art thou, Lord? He recognized he was Lord, and he says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. He assumed that Jesus was dead and that was the end of it. And he was going to exterminate the people that claimed to follow a resurrected Lord. And then he realized that Jesus was alive and he was speaking to him and Jesus was the one he was persecuting. Now, that's where ideology uh, can uh, expose itself, doesn't it? He had lived in good conscience as far as he knew, but he was persecuting the church, what he thought was good conscience and he was following their traditions. Now, another passage, look at, look at, um, look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, again, this is his testimony. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Remember, he's the one that authored by God's uh, inspiration, Romans 10, the Jews have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He had a zeal in persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, and he counted those things but lost for the excellency in all Christ. But you'll see something there that, he had a very strict upbringing, and it never occurred to me to think of it this way before, but his father was a Roman citizen. He was given the best education you could give, uh, you could give someone, and he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the notoriously uh, learned of the scribes, of the ones who taught, and he learned all the doctrines of, of uh, uh, traditional Israel, and he ended up counting that but lost, didn't he? He counted up a loss. He followed traditions. And none of that was, was uh, 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 life-giving. And so here is this one that's the Jew, Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was raised a Pharisee. What must it have been like to be raised in a Pharisee's home? I mean, when you describe the Pharisees, a whole chapter is devoted to it in Matthew 23, and there's nothing pleasant about it. They're, uh, the leaven of Pharisees is hypocrisy, remember? That means that it's very good chance his dad was hypocritical. We don't know what his dad was like. We just know he was given the best of everything, and maybe his dad was a Pharisee too, but we know this, that he had a very straight-laced, a very strict upbringing, and he kept following and pursuing that thinking he was doing God a favor by destroying the people who followed Jesus, destroying people who had something in here that he lacked. So he had a conscience, didn't he? Now, the Bible tells us not to sear our conscience, not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Watch out that you keep your conscience because there are people that can do evil and it won't bother them a bit. They have seared the conscience that God gave everyone because the, uh, the grace of God, which is the subject matter we're looking at, the grace of God, 
the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. That means the most liberal of those scumbags back in Washington, they uh, grew up as children having a knowledge that some things were right and some were wrong. That didn't make them closer to God. It's just that we're not animals. An animal doesn't have a conscience. If they eat something smaller and inferior to them, doesn't bother them a bit. They probably burp. Well, man is different than an animal, isn't he? He had a conscience. And yet, if you look back at Acts chapter 9, if you look back at Acts chapter 9, and I just love reading about the uh, conversion of Paul. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. In other words, he volunteered. So when he breathed, he was, he was threatening the Christians that uh, had shown themselves in Jerusalem. He, he went and volunteered to exterminate them and hound them to distant cities away from Jerusalem. He desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. How would you like it at the end of the day if what you'd accomplished was you had arrested women for what they believed? Now, it's bad enough to fight against the men, but to arrest women for what they believe and drag them into the court. Another place it says he compelled them to blaspheme. He was cruel and vicious to people whose only guilt was that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah that the people of Israel were supposed to be looking for. He, he had a conscience but when this starts coming, verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? Well, if you were blinded by a light from heaven, and you fell to the earth, and you would know he was someone of more power than you had. He said, Who art thou, Lord? And notice what he says. The Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. In other words, when he was hailing men and women and casting them into prison, trying to make them blaspheming, he was persecuting Jesus Christ. Now notice the last part. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now I've, that's one of my favorite passages. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now if you read between the lines, this is what I think happened. Two chapters before that, Paul held the cloaks of those that stoned Stephen. And what he saw, um, what he saw, I'm sure that he was probably in his 30s by now. He had many experiences. He saw criminals punished, but Stephen didn't die as a criminal. Stephen forgave his persecutors. And what else would be pricking his conscience? What else would be... Uh, stabbing him with guilt just a little bit. What else would be, I suspect when you're, uh, I suspect this is generally true, that if you're nothing more than religious, when th something starts eroding the foundation upon which you build your life, then you at first respond with an attack. And most likely conviction started back there. It doesn't say that, but there's something to justify kicking against the pricks. And certainly it was a prick where he's blinded and he's confronted with Jesus whom he persecuted. So it's not just conscience, there's conviction there. He assumed that Jesus' death was the end of the story of Jesus. 
And yet Jesus answered his, uh, his uh, plea, didn't he? Likely, that conviction came from the death of Stephen. And by the way, when Paul died, he, Paul, he died almost with the same words on his lips. Many forsook him. He's talking about believers then. I pray you not lay it to their charge. You see Paul say that in 2 Timothy 4. You see Stephen say that when he's dying. You see Jesus saying that on the cross. There's a common thread there, isn't it? I think that Paul, and one of the basis of success is conviction handled his heart, didn't it? Something was working on him, and uh, it came to a head when he, was, uh, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and the result was conversion. Now, he acknowledged Jesus as his Lord. Who art thou, Lord? Who art thou, Lord? And he went to Damascus to persecute the church, and as soon as his sight was restored, if you go back to Acts chapter 9, he immediately went and started preaching in the synagogues that Jesus is Christ. That's how I know that he wasn't an ideological man. He was an honest and honorable man that just happened to be wrong. He had, he had zeal, but not knowledge. And when he got straightened on that, he had the same zeal for Jesus, but it was no longer misplaced, was it? He had the same knowledge uh, he had the same zeal, but now for Jesus, he acknowledged the Lord. He preached the one he before persecuted. And Paul, when he was called, God says, I want you to go to the Jews. I mean, I want you to stand. I need to read it. Acts 9, verses 15 and 16. Acts 9, 15, the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen, speaking of Paul, he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, that's a great way to call someone into your service, isn't it? I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer. But none of this deterred Paul. And I suspect that's because this passage starts out in verse 9, I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. What you can be certain about Paul is the integrity and the reality of his conversion was this. He never forgot where he came from. And don't you know that there were those that, that greeted him in heaven that he had sent there? There had to have been. He persecuted the church. He, he compelled people to blaspheme. And he got to heaven and there were some of those people that received him there. That's an interesting thing about heaven, isn't it? So uh, he was told what he's going to suffer. He wasn't blinded by prejudice. He wasn't blinded by ideology or the zeal that Jews demonstrate without knowledge. He had that zeal, but he wasn't blinded by it. And when Jesus uh, showed himself to him, revealed himself to him, you see a different man. And I also like that verse 9, for it says, I'm the least of the apostles. You and I marvel that that's inspired, don't we? The least of the apostles? Man, if there's anyone that distinguished himself, it'd be Paul, wouldn't it? He wasn't unbelieving Thomas. He wasn't um, on again, off again Peter. He wasn't youthful John. He was the one that even rebuked Peter, wasn't he? He's the one that went back up to Jerusalem, I think in Acts 15, well, Galatians 1, I know. He went back up to Jerusalem and visited with the apostles there in Acts 15. He went there and compared notes, didn't he? 
He was one with those apostles. And this thought occurred to me too. I just didn't write it down. This is Paul, who is known as Saul, <coughs> a Pharisee of the Pharisees, which is not a compliment. And yet when the Corinthian church was factional, when they were divided, there were some after Paul. He distinguished himself amongst the Christians. Some after Apollos, the orator. Paul wasn't an orator. Apollos was. Some after Peter. Some after Christ. So there are four kind of different personalities. And, uh, and that shows us how dominant Paul's ministry was in those early days, but not to Paul. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. He didn't go up there and speak to the other apostles and said, listen, uh, you paved the way, but now you need to follow me. He called himself the least of the apostles. You don't see Paul promoting himself. You just don't see him promoting himself. He was humble with no excuses. Um, Acts 8.3 says he was hailing men, dragging them to uh, prison. Acts 26.11, he compelled people to blaspheme. Let me, let me look at Acts 26, because that might be another. Acts 26, um, it says, um, verse 9, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I punished them oft in every synagogue, compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. That means there were dead people in heaven when Paul arrived that died at his testimony being persecuted by Paul. He says, I'm the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church. You can say all you want about Peter. Yeah, he denied the Lord. Thomas refused to believe till he could see Jesus and, put his, and handle him. But they walked with Jesus and they were just men. Paul, on the other hand, persecuted the church. And he never got over the fact that that was a great thing to be humble about, wasn't it? That was a great thing. He would go and preach to people. I wonder how many relatives of the people he caused to be put to death did he meet along the way. He had to have somewhere. He had to have somewhere. Maybe that's part of the mercy of God sending him away from Jerusalem. But there were people whose lives he had affected in a bad way, just as there were a lot of people whose lives Jesus had affected in a good way. And Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. Another place, uh, he says the same thing. Well, he wasn't blinded by prejudice. He was humble. No excuses for what he had done. And you know what I like about this passage, our text? It says, um, the last part of verse 10, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, with the grace of God which was with me. You know what labored with him? He must have let the grace of God have free reign in his heart. He must have had, because he says, I labored more abundantly, but not me. It was the grace of God. Now, every Christian uh, comes to Jesus like this. We get grace delivered to us free if we trust our, put our trust in him. But that grace is available, isn't it? How much do we labor for him with the grace that was given to us? Paul stands out because he apparently didn't resist the grace of God. You know what the grace of God would do? 
it would, it would encourage you and empower you to do something you don't think your personality allows. It would empower you to do something you don't think that your abilities allow, your education would allow. You, it would empower you to do, be a witness to people far more educated than you are, far smarter than you are. It would empower you to do all those things, and that's if you let the grace of God work in your heart. I wonder how, you know, most of the apostles die in, in obscurity. We have some records that aren't inspired, but from Fox's Book of Martyrs and the Martyr's Mirror, we have records of their demise, but most of them didn't distinguish themselves, at least as far as the, the inspired Word of God is. But a handful did, didn't they? And isn't it funny that God used Matthew, a stinking, filthy tax collector. He used John, just a kid, when Jesus walked this earth. He used Paul, one who persecuted the church. And the, the truth of all of these people, each of these personalities is when we are... Uh, when we remember where we came from with the humility that uh, our background deserves and really warrants, then it'll be a lot more successful in our lives, won't it? He was humble. It's only by grace you are what you are. It's by grace you are what you are. Whatever has happened in our heart, it's because God has been gracious and kind to us. And isn't it interesting that every one of the epistles, even when Paul, Peter writes, and I believe even when John writes, it's grace to you and peace or some combination of those words. I know Peter writes this, that you grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. So Peter, who may not always have been the most gracious, certainly Paul wasn't, but Peter said, I pray that the grace of God would grow in you. I would pray that you grow in grace and knowledge. Knowledge is secondary to grace. So uh, only by the grace of God you are what you are. Religion makes proud. Salvation makes you humble, doesn't it? Now, number two, it's not just integrity, it's insight. It's insight. When he came to understand that his religion didn't make him sinless, because you don't see him saying how sinful he was before he got saved. He's telling you about his credentials, his badge of honor. I was the, uh, I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, he tells a Roman citizen, I was born a Roman citizen. He was proud of his birth. He had it all down. I was from Benjamin and all, all this stuff. But all that was worthless when you come to know Jesus, wasn't it? His natural birth didn't give him the success that he had. And natural talents and abilities don't give us success in serving the Lord unless we surrender those to him as well. Um, he understood the sinfulness of man. Religious uh, principles certainly are obvious, aren't they? Religion can allow you to put someone to death for what they believe. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? And uh, it, it, it's a poison that gets into the hearts of people that are religious. You know, we know how the Roman, uh, how the Roman church murdered lots of people into the dark ages. You, you've read about them being on the rack and all that. Well, Calvin, he put people to death for similar reasons. Now it was a handful, a dozen or so, two dozen. How in the world could you know Jesus and write about knowing Jesus and do that? When, uh, 
when maybe you're just a, a little bit less aware of the sinfulness of man than you should be. I, I can't look into Calvin's ideas. He could tell you how to be saved. Well, uh, he knew religiously that there's no good thing in us. Practically, he writes a chapter, Romans 7, that in, in our flesh dwells no good thing. And even spiritually, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse, uh, 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 let's see, now I forget which verse it is. Um, the verse I want, it says, it says, I die daily. I think it's 27. No. Yeah, verse 31. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Now, we can look at this one perspective on that. He dies daily so that his heart is not so full of pride that he takes offense at what people say, even when they don't mean mischief by it. But it's also this. How does a seed grow a plant when it goes into the ground and dies? We're talking about the resurrection here. We died in Him, in Christ. And we're raised not only as new creatures, but raised to bring forth fruit to Him. And how do you bring forth? We saw in 1 Peter the other day, or 2 Peter, that we add to faith knowledge and virtue and all of those things. And if they're abounding in us, then they'll make us not be fruitless. He dies daily, I think, to submit, subject His flesh to God's Spirit and His Word. But I think it's also that he can get out of the way and let God's grace work through him. Wouldn't he be someone to see? I mean, you talk about people that have been transformed. Now, today, people that are transformed, usually they find some very worldly um, um, celebrity that makes a profession of faith. And it might very well be real. I'm not questioning that. But if you haven't left the world, the world just keeps fiddling with your life, doesn't it? But Paul, he left the very world that he grew up and was familiar with. When he stands before the, <clears throat> the governor and the, and the king or whichever one it was, when he stands before them, he says, these priests can testify. They knew me. He knew every one of them. They knew him. They grew up. They served together in religion. They can testify that I was with them. And he says, I embraced what the prophets told us to look for, and they haven't. And I'm free, and you're not. Spiritually, he knew he needed to die daily. Because as he speaks of in Roman, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, the flesh rises up, and the flesh tries to become a master in our life instead of a servant. So... He dies daily, and you see of Paul, you see of Paul very clearly, he understands the sinfulness of man. And I don't have time to spend here, but I just had a blessing looking at the grace of God. Because this text, our text says, but the grace of God which was with me. He says, his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. It's a chapter on grace, isn't it? And the resurrection. Have you thought about the spirit of grace? The Bible tells us... Um, Every epistle starts and ends with the grace of God. Every one of them. Every one. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Uh, and it's appeared to all men. That's Titus 2.11. It's a bounty we receive that we didn't earn. 
That's the blessing of grace. And it's that bounty that he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. God was good to me. Whatever I am, I owe to the grace of God. In Acts 20, 32, it says, the grace of God is able to build you up. Now, look at that. I mean, we should turn there. Uh, Acts 20 in verse 32, uh, I've turned many times. This is when he's leaving his friends. But uh, in verse 32, now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. The grace of God is able to build you up. Now, he uses his word, doesn't he? Look at the church at Corinth. He says, I couldn't write to you as spiritual, and yet they're saved. He says, uh, you, uh, you are come behind no one else in the gifts that God gives. He says, the grace of God is able to build you up. Had it built up the church at Corinth? No, they were gifted like anybody else that's saved, and yet they had uh, lost the, the spiritual nature of a church. They were tolerating sin in their midst, and the Bible says, I had to speak to you as unto carnal people. Carnal people is at best someone that just got saved and doesn't know anything. Really, it probably mostly refers to someone who has not grown at all. They still look like the world, still act like the world. They're probably most comfortable in the world. They're someone saved, but they haven't grown past their, uh, the day of their salvation. They're after the flesh. After the flesh that... God warns us about so much the grace of God is able to build us up. Man, I want to make sure I don't frustrate the grace of God. By the way, that's one of the verses. Don't frustrate. The grace of God wants to, and think about this, the grace of God wants to make happy homes amongst the Christian population. He'd love it in everyone. And so the grace of God wants to build us up to be what we're, so, and Ephesians 4 is great on that, wants to build us up to be what we should be for Jesus, and it'll make a happy home where kids are secure, and it'll uh, have a pretty good tendency to generate the next generation, won't it? Make them walk with the Lord, or at least introduce them to walking with the Lord. Romans 5 and verse 20, Romans 5 and verse 20, the Bible says, <clears throat> uh, Romans 5.20, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, that's what humility comes from, that we're vile and filthy sinners when we come to them, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's a perfect picture of grace, isn't it? Sin abounds. Look at the mess people get into. I mean, the people in this world, um, didn't we just hear about someone committing suicide just this week. Was that in the valley here? Someone known. I, I don't want to give out. I don't know who it was, but just think about someone coming to the end of hope and taking their own life. That's what people deal with, what, li what kids live with today. But where sin abounds, grace more abounds. So you know why you want to die to self? You know why you don't want to frustrate the grace of God? Because wherever our weaknesses are most profound, His grace is best available, isn't it? Wherever our sin abounds, grace abounds more. And 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15, it's be, I'll read it. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. 
all things for our sake, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. In other words, God's abundant grace to save the vilest of sinners. And the prayer is that it will abound to the glory of God. See, if God can save Paul, he can save you. You're not, you're not worse than he is. If God can save me, he can save anyone. If God can save you, he can save anyone. We want it all to abound to the glory of God because it's not anything but the grace of God. And Ephesians 1, 6 tells us we're accepted in the beloved. You know what God's grace does? Gives us a whole new family. And we're accepted there as if we've always been there. Isn't that right? Accepted. Accepted. The, what kind of home was a Pharisee's home? I wonder how much that verse, when he wrote it, thrilled his soul. We, I, I don't know. What we know about Paul is he had a sister and a nephew. That his dad was a Benjamite. He was raised in good Pharisee, a Pharisee's home and uh, good uh, education. I wonder if he was, you know, he, he was accepted by the Pharisees as long as he was killing Christians. But as soon as he started preaching Jesus, they wanted to kill him. And what a joy it is to be accepted of, G, uh, of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Accepted in the beloved. That's my family. That's my home. And I like this in Colossians 3, the grace of God, singing with grace in your hearts to God. Singing with grace. I like the songs tonight, Steve. I like the songs. Those songs make a big difference in our lives, don't they? Singing with grace in our hearts. If grace is in your hearts, it should make you sing, shouldn't it? It doesn't matter if you sing all by yourself because maybe you're not blessed with a voice that some people are. But singing with grace in your hearts, man, he's good to us, isn't he? And that doesn't mean you're not going to have some valleys in life. But he's awfully good to us. We don't have valleys like Jeremiah had, and he had to remind himself, that it's of the Lord's mercies were not consumed. Think about that. If you have a difficult existence as Jeremiah did, where no one, not only did no one believe, uh, uh, receive what he had to say, he was told they wouldn't. So every day was an effort in futility. Isn't that right? I mean, as far as seeing visual, visible results, oh, but he worked for more than that. Those people were without excuse because a prophet was among them. But it was inevitable that he'd get discouraged sometime. And when he was discouraged, Lamentations 3 says, This I recall to mind, therefore I have a hope. So when you're discouraged, then you can live a life that seems to be hopeless. And don't you understand that? It was a small crowd Sunday night. That's discouraging. It's smaller tonight. You know? But I'm not going to let that discourage me tonight. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. But you know what? It's of the Lord's mercies we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. That means even if your life seems to be, um, I was going to say futile, and sometimes we can feel that way. Every new day is a mark of God's mercy. Isn't that something? Every new day, to me, it would be really merciful just for Jesus to come take us home to heaven. Wouldn't that be right? You'd never get to tell someone about Jesus. Everyone would see him as he is. You'd never get to witness to someone who's never heard of him before. 
you'd never get to pray for your lost loved ones. And you never get to, there's a lot of things you'll never be able to do. <clears throat> and friends and family even that are lost, you'll never be able to testify to them again. But it, that's why every morning is a new mercy. And I suspect that uh, Jeremiah had to go each day with the hope that that would be the day that someone would at least be touched by the words of God. Even though God said they're not going to listen to you. But you know, some people are touched even if they don't make a decision. Um, a song. Be strong in the grace, 2 Timothy 2. I like this in Acts eleven twenty three, The grace was visible. Acts 11, verse 23, because I want you to see the wording. Acts chapter 11 and verse 23. Who, when, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave to the Lord. They could see the grace of God. They could see the grace of God. How would you see the grace of God? You would see people when the news is all bad, you're still rejoicing. You would see people when you're going through struggles and trials, you still have something more to live for. You would see people that, that demonstrated grace. If you knew them, if you got to know them, you'd find out that they had a pretty bad background like Paul did, and yet now they're happy and rejoicing in grace. You would see the grace of God transforming homes, transforming husbands, transforming lives. You could see it at work in people. That's what we need to see. People don't really want to hear that too much, do they? Then last of all, notice this. There's an investment. 1 Corinthians 15.10. 1 Corinthians 15.10. Uh, it says this. And of course, I keep turning past it. It says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. In other words, whatever He is is God's grace to him. We're his workmanship, aren't we? Do you ever try to imagine what Paul must have looked like? I think he was probably diminutive. I suspect he wasn't a large, imposing figure. I don't know that. I suspect, with a little more evidence, that he was probably uh, almost blind. Well, that'd be a good reminder that you saw Jesus in the way and were blinded. That's my speculation. But you know what? He was exactly what God wanted to use to write the New Testament, wasn't he? We're his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10, and we're created for a purpose. That's why Paul could say, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. We're created with potential. We're created with potential. His grace which is bestowed upon me was not in vain. He didn't give me his grace for nothing but I labored more abundantly than they all. I think it was God's grace that also uh, extended his zeal. He has zeal for God without knowledge. Now he has zeal for God. And I suspect, I mean, you look at it, that same chapter of his, of his uh, salvation, that same chapter, he's going to synagogues and preaching that Jesus is Christ. I'll bet everything fell into place. And said, well, maybe not everything. But the primary doctrines of, of Christ, of uh, the messianic promises, fell into place. And then, he, then it made sense. It's like a school teacher teaching English or teaching math. 
and finally it clicks. It probably did with him. We're his workmanship, aren't we? And yet he calls us to work. He labored more. Do you use his grace that was given to you? Are you a trophy of his grace? Do you cultivate his influence? He says, I labored more abundantly than they all, but not me, but the grace of God in me. I suspect what that means is the grace of God led him and he didn't resist. Because it's easy to resist that, isn't it? The grace of God led him. Um, do you cultivate his influence? Do you have the same desire to submit your flesh to him that Paul did? And do you keep under your body? You die daily. When you die daily, you're able to bear fruit. He doesn't appear to have forgotten where he came from, does he? Nowhere in his writings does he seem to have forgotten where he came from. In fact, the older he got, it seemed like the sweet spirit came more and more apparent, more and more evident to him, didn't it? That's what it seems like. So <clears throat> submit your flesh. That is so that you can bear fruit. So you can bear fruit. There's nothing quite like telling people about Jesus, even if they don't respond the way you want them to. Because you get to tell someone, remove their excuse. They can no longer say, well, I didn't know. Yeah, you did. I told you. You no longer say, well, I don't know what to do with this life. No, you heard what to do with this life and you wouldn't do it. Well, I don't know why this life is so frustrating. Because God's Spirit wants to see you saved and you won't do it. What about you? Do you excel in His service? Most people do not. Do you... Many times, religion is marked by courting the favor of someone else instead of being just a trophy of God's grace. Do you realize you're a result of His grace? We're a result of His grace. My salvation is certainly that. Anything that we do for the Lord is the grace of God in us, isn't it? If you want to do it in the flesh, have at it, but you're not going to get very far. It won't last. Doesn't he deserve our best? I like the fact that he says, I labored more abundantly than they all. And yet he's not bragging. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. God gave me his grace. He saved me. And he equipped me to serve. And I just didn't resist him. I just didn't resist him. It's sometimes said, and I've said it, that it seems at times that that uh, uh, conviction or con convictions can be inconvenient at times. But they're always profitable, aren't they? Always profitable. And that's what the grace of God is. And uh, what, a, what a neat verse those two verses are. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Bless our time of prayer tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.